The following audio is from Life Journey Church. More information about Life Journey Church is available at www.lifejourneyva.com. My name is Walt. If we hadn't had a chance to meet, and uh, I have the joy of, of together with Richard being one of, uh, part of the elder team, uh, we have one senior pastor at Life Journey Church. His name is Jesus Christ, and we are elders uh, who, as a team, help lead the church in the direction that we believe Scripture is teaching that God wants this church to head. Uh, but I have a confession to make, okay? I do. <sighs> My name is Walt Davis, and I am a recovering legalist. Now, now you chuckle because you, you, might, you might know me, and, and you might know some really hardcore legalist, and you think, Walt, you are, you are no legalist. You wear jeans, Walt. You listen to you know, U2 and Creed. You listen to secular music. You're, you're not a legalist. You, you, you say dude you know, and man. When you preach, there's no way you're a legalist, Walt. You, you have facial hair sometimes, and then sometimes not, and then sometimes it's, it's back and forth. There's no way, Walt, you're a legalist. You might be sitting here thinking, uh, what in the world's a legalist? And is that contagious? Should I be wearing a mask? You know, like it's uh, part of the, the, the uh, you know, the, the flu that's going around. You might be, have no idea what a legalist is. You might be new to this whole idea of church and terms like legalists don't mean anything. And, and, and for, for those of you, I kind of envy you to a real extent, for those who are totally ignorant of this deal. A legalist is simply someone who takes the completed work of Jesus and thinks they need to add to it. A legalist says, grace is good, but grace isn't enough. And so we need to balance grace with external works. A legalist says that if we teach, if all we teach and display is grace, then people are going to sin, and they're going to sin wildly. They're going to sin out of control if all we teach is grace. And so we need to control their wild behaviors. We need to reel it in with these laws, mixing in laws so that people don't go crazy. Because a real Christian isn't a crazy, right? A legalist says grace is great, but a real Christian is going to be driven by the laws of the Old Testament, namely the Big Ten, the Ten Commandments. A legalist says, God, you did a gracious job of paying for all my sins, but now when I sin and when others sin, we better ask this same God to now forgive us again of that sin, because by sinning now, we're breaking a law of God, and we've got to get more covering for the, law, for the sin that we have committed. My fellow saints, listen. I'm a recovering legalist. For years and years, I grew up under this teaching that while grace is good enough to save someone, it isn't good enough to change them from the inside out. I grew up under this idea that change will only come from the outside in by enacting laws and rules to live by. I didn't know I was a legalist. I denied the fact that I was a legalist. Right? Denial is the first stage, right? I was certainly able to point out other legalists in the room, but I would never have thought of myself having adding to the already complete work of Jesus. But thankfully, God's loving grace has begun to break through my denial. 
And he's begun to break through, showing me that his glorious grace, his perfect grace, it's enough. And there's no need for me to add to it. Every day, I'm learning. Every day, I'm growing. Every day, I'm praying. I'm begging God to open my eyes to the beauty of this completed work of Jesus. Every day, I'm trying, by God's grace, to let go of the external stimuli of the law and embrace the already completed work of Christ in me. But what about, what about you? That's me. That's my story. God's working on me. He's renewing me day by day. But what about you? I don't know the religious baggage that each of us have in the room, and we all have baggage of some sort. Many I talk with clearly resemble my, my story trying to perfect with the flesh that which started in the Spirit. That is to say, like me, you're trying to improve your flesh with external rules rather than realizing that the work of Christ was complete in you and it will change you from the inside out. If you don't see grace for what it is, you and I will continue to live in this vicious cycle of feeling unworthy to be with God because we've sinned. And then trying to pay for our sin ourselves by getting right with God through seeking further forgiveness. Then placing a rule, an external rule in my life to keep me from sinning so that I don't feel unworthy with God so that then when I sin again, I won't have to pay for the sin and get right again so that I won't have to... It's just on and on. This vicious cycle. Hear me. Please hear me. Sin is a reproach before God. Sin is such a vile and evil abomination before God that holy God cannot and will not attach himself to anything that resembles sin. We must understand that. However, we also know that if you're a believer, God has united himself to you. How could he do that? Either God has changed and removed his standard and his character of holy, of separate, of perfect, or he has removed from you who believe each and every sin that you have ever committed, are committing, and will ever yet future commit. I'm going to give a fair warning right now. I don't normally do this. But we give a fair warning right now before we go any further. In a minute, we're going to pass our offering plates. In a minute, we're going to put our cards in if you're a visitor with us. In a minute, we're going to put our, our offering in. But we have a fair warning. As soon as that's over, if, if you struggle with seeing grace for what it really is, you, you might get a little upset this morning. I'm just being honest. If, if you're a legalist, and you say, we must add to the work of Christ, you're going to get uptight, you're going to get frustrated with me, and you're probably going to call me a blasphemous heretic. I'm just being honest. Like, like no surprises, all right? I'm just being, being real, right? Shooting straight. But if you're a recovering legalist like me, that is, you've identified that there are some legalistic tendencies, but you seek to purge them from your life and be freed from them, there's going to be some tough things where we step on some toes here in a little bit, but prayerfully the Spirit of God will reveal to you more and more the beauty of this thing of grace. 
In total honesty, there are parts of what I'm going to say this morning that's still kind of like, ugh, in my mind. Because I'm still recovering from years of legalism, of fundamentalism. But if you're here this morning and you have zero religious baggage because your eyes have been opened to the beauty of grace and grace alone, or if you have zero religious baggage because you just, like this whole thing of church is new to you, and you've never had any sort of religious thing pushed on you and and legalistic ideas pushed on you, if that's you, man, this morning will be a breath of life. This morning, it will be life to the believer who sees grace for what it really is, and it will be life to the unbeliever who is in desperate need for the grace of God in their life. We're going to pray, and then we're going to pass our plates. And if you're already upset with me, I'm sorry, but we can't skip Scripture. Father, I thank you for your love for us. God, I just pray that we would see the reality that is. We see the reality that in Christ it's done. As we just sing about, it's finished, it's complete. There is no more wrath, there is no more condemnation to those who are in Christ. God, help us to take grace for what it is. Help me to understand it for what it is. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you wouldn't mind, go ahead and grab a basket there and pass it around. Here's what I want us to leave here with this morning, this idea that the more grace you see, the more changed you'll be. The more grace you see, the more changed you'll be. We're walking through the book of Mark, and as difficult as we... as, as uh, was just said by Rachel. Some of the passages are, but we can't skip them. We've got to talk through them. We've got to either be changed by the reality of truth or we've got to avoid truth altogether. And so we're in the middle of Jesus' ministry in Galilee and we're in this four-week series here of this idea of grace works, okay? It's not us that works, it's grace that works. And there's these four sermons, these four illustrations or these four parables that Jesus gives to communicate how grace works. Works. The first one was last week that Richard talked about of a sower who sows. And you might not be able to see the graphic from here, but there's seeds inside of this G right here. And then the R and the A is what we're talking about today. There's the, there, you can't, might, not be, might not be able to see it, but there's a lamp inside of here, an oil lamp inside the R and the A. And then next week, Richard's going to be talking about this plant that starts coming up. The seed that's hidden, but then this plant starts coming up from the ground. And so we see this plant coming. And then two weeks from today, we're going to talk about this fourth parable, this fourth illustration, which is this idea that this tiny little mustard seed was put in the ground, but this huge tree, this huge mustard tree came out from it. And so we see that on the E. But today we're going to zoom in to this idea of the lamp. Go with me to God's Word in Mark chapter 4, and we're going to pick up in verse 21, okay? And he says to them, here on the screen, if you don't have your Bible, you can read it right here. And he says to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? Is a lamp brought in to be under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? Sounds like a silly, simple question. Well, Jesus is really good at asking silly, simple questions to 
burn the truth into our hearts and minds. Jesus is continuing to reveal the purpose of his coming, that the beauty of his grace, of the grace that he brings through these various parables. And now he's talking about not seed that was thrown like Richard talked about last week, but now he's talking about a lamp. In fact, in the original language, and I don't know why in English they, they change this, but in the original language it says, is the lamp brought in to be under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand. I think that makes a big difference. I mean, it's the lamp instead of just a lamp. Well, that, that, that makes me want to ask the question, okay, who, who or what is this lamp? Well, some people say that this lamp that Jesus is talking about is the gospel, the good news. Jesus, some people would say that Jesus is saying that the gospel is this thing that should be placed on a stand to give light by. Well, some people say that this, this lamp is the kingdom of God, that everything that encompasses the whole family of God, the whole glory of God, the whole fame of God, this whole entire thing of God's purpose and design should be placed high. Well, sounds all right. Some people say that it's Jesus himself, that Jesus himself is to be elevated and that he is, as the light of the world is to be elevated and he will cast out darkness. Some people say that it's the reality of grace, that grace is to be elevated and that this new thing of grace, this new teaching of grace that Jesus has been talking about is to be elevated on a stand. There's a lot of options. So which is it? I say yes. <laughs> yes. I just only say yes to all of these. Jesus himself is the embodiment of the good news of grace that for all who believe would be a part of the kingdom of God. Yes, this truth is to be elevated. As the lamp, Jesus is saying it's time for a lamp to do what lamps do. Shine. Come forth. Cast out darkness. Now, I know this doesn't sound too radical yet, especially if you've grown up in church. You're like, wait, I'm not, I'm not getting legalistic, like, you know, pushback here. We know that Jesus is the light. We know that Jesus is the Lamb of God sent by God to be the Savior of the world. But they didn't know that, right? The audience to whom Jesus is talking to, they didn't get, get that. In fact, this whole thing of grace and how it works was a total mystery to everyone before Jesus came. The truth about Jesus and how he was going to remove the sin of people, it wasn't known to the people of the Old Testament. When Old Testament Jews took their sin offering into the temple under the Old Covenant, they weren't doing it to look forward to a Messiah who would one day take away all their sin. They were just trying their best to keep their end of this bargain that they had with God. You see, the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, God made covenants with his people, the Israelites. He said, if you do this, then I'll do this. You keep in your end, I'll keep my end. And my end is I'll bless you, I'll protect you, I'll love you, I'll guide you, I'll prosper you, I'll defend you, but you have to keep your part. Your part is to obey me, to be faithful to me, to keep my commands, to honor me, to have no other God except for me. In fact, the embodiment of the rules that the Israelites had to keep was this, the, was these ten, were these Ten Commandments and then all the hundreds of laws that followed in this body of this thing called the Law of Moses. God said, if you keep these, I'll do this. I'll protect you and bless you. I'll empower you and on and on. But you must do these things. Well, what was the problem, right? The problem was that sinful man obviously couldn't keep the righteous law of God, no matter how hard they tried. The Jews continued to fail at keeping their end of the bargain. 
They continued to break the law that God had set up. So God continued to pursue them and, and to punish them. And to, they would get their act together. They would have sacrifices. And then God would then renew his covenant with them. I mean, this is over and over and over and over in the Old Testament. This happened just like a dozen times at least in the time of the judges, during the book of Judges. Israel did right what was in their own eyes, and they drifted from the Lord, and then the Lord raised up somebody, and then, then they come back in. I mean, just over and over. God continued to say, though, if you keep your end of the bargain, I'll keep mine. When the Jews failed, they had to offer up these sacrifices to show their remorse, to move back into a fellowship, into the presence of God. But you want to talk about exhausting, all right? Try doing that for, your, for life. Try doing it every single time that you do any sort of sinning against any of these hundreds of laws that God has written out. And every time that you broke one, you would have to come back under this heavy weight of guilt and of sin remorse and, and try to earn your way back into God's graces. This is how the Old Testament worked. This is how the Old Covenant operated. God kept his side. And if they kept their end, then things would be good. But if they were to break just one piece of the covenant, the whole covenant would be nullified. I'll do my part, God would say, and you do your part, and we'll have a deal. Clark Witten wrote a book that I just read this weekend called Pure Grace. If you follow me on Facebook or Twitter, it was just like exploded with these quotes from this book. He says, in a very real sense, the nation of Israel struck out their hand to shake on the deal and say, okay, sweet, that sounds good to us. But it wasn't long before uh, Israel knew that they were incapable of keeping their end of the bargain. In fact, Moses didn't even make it down from the mountain with the first uh, copy of this law fresh off the presses when the Israelites had melted down all of their bling and they had turned it into a cow to start worshiping. I mean, it didn't, like, the first day, they had already broken it. God knew it was impossible for them. He knew and so almost simultaneously, God instituted this priesthood and the sacrificial system. This is what most of the Old Testament is about. Again, it's Israel running from God and God pursuing them and then coming back and jumping off the tracks Israel would again and then God pursuing them. They could never do it. They could never keep the law of God. And neither can we. Neither can you. Neither can I. This back and forth, falling off the track and getting back on the track. This is all the people of Jesus' Jesus's day knew. It's all they knew. But God had another plan. God had another bargain in his pocket. All right? When the time was right, God decided to drastically increase his end of the bargain. In this new bargain, in this new covenant, this new contract, this new thing that Jesus is on earth now sharing and revealing, it goes like this. Right? In this new covenant, God says, I will not only do my end of the bargain and bless you and father you and lead you and never forsake you and on and on and on, love you, bless you, all that stuff. I'm not only going to do my part, my end of the bargain, but from now on, I'm going to do your part as well. Now that's grace. That's new. That was foreign to these people. Check this out. Instead of God striking hands with man to create this new covenant that Jesus came to establish, God the Father shook hands with God the Son in order to ratify this new covenant. 
Therefore, it's impossible for this new covenant to be broken now. God the Father's doing his part, and because we couldn't keep our end of the bargain, God decided to do our part as well. Jesus kept the law perfectly, and by keeping the law perfectly, Jesus fulfilled the requirement of the law for us. He did for me what I could not do myself. This new covenant is between God, the Father, and His beloved Son, Jesus. Well, what's our part? Our part is to see it and to believe, to receive Jesus as our Savior, that He died for us. But this is the clearest picture of grace that I could ever imagine. God knew that we couldn't conform to the standard, so the Son stood in our place to satisfy the requirement of God so that we could become children of God by His grace through faith. Man, this is amazing. This is awesome. This is radical. I couldn't keep the law, so God pulled His grace card out of His pocket and trumped the old covenant with a new one. And He said, Jesus will stand in for your disobedience. He will be your obedience. Therefore, listen, there's no more Mosaic law for us to keep. The requirements of the law are totally eliminated. Not only did Jesus fulfill the requirements of the law for us, but he also took on himself the full measure of each and every sin that we have ever, are, and will ever commit. They were placed on Jesus on the cross, and Jesus received our punishment for our sins. So get this, all right? Like, make sure you're tracking. So not only is the requirement for us to keep the law eliminated through Jesus' perfect righteous life, but now the punishment for us, because we didn't keep the law, has now been satisfied by Jesus' righteous death. That's amazing. That's grace at work. God giving us something we could never deserve. This is totally new to these people. Totally new. They'd never seen this. They never heard of this. Many of them simply could not believe that this was real. They were so accustomed to living under the guilt and the shame of their failures that they simply could not believe this to be true. But listen, church, it's not only true, but this gracious plan of God to reveal His work of grace always existed. God didn't wake up one day and say, you know what, these people are pretty terrible, let me do something else. Scripture teaches us that this plan of God was hidden. He hid it. He hid His grace. He hid this plan. And now He's revealing it. It was always a plan of God. The Bible teaches us that God the Father struck hands with God the Son in this pledge, in this new covenant, before the world even began. But God's plan was to hide it, to keep it secret, to keep it veiled until the time was right. And that time was some 2,000 years ago when Jesus stepped out of the heavenly realm and stepped into this earthly realm. And Jesus even explains it right here. You say, well, that just sounds kind of crazy. Well, let's just keep reading what Jesus says. Verse 22 says, For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest. All right? Nothing is hidden, nothing is put under a cloak except for it to come out. Nor is anything secret except to come to light. Jesus is saying that the whole purpose of veiling the new covenant underneath the shroud or the tarp of the old covenant was for one day the new covenant to be made known. 
God's plan was for people to know, to understand the holiness of himself, that we could never behave in a way that could earn our spot in God's family. The law and the old covenant teach us this, that we have no hope if it's up to ourselves. But God's plan was for people to know not just the extent of his holiness, but also, listen, the extent of his grace, the extent of his love, the extent of his mercy, by sending his own son to keep the law that we couldn't keep and to pay for our sin that we couldn't pay for. One of my favorite types of shows that comes on TV are these shows where they work on something and then they, they have a big reveal at the end, right? So like extreme home makeover. Or we don't watch it all that much anymore. It's kind of gotten old. It's like same old, same old. But like it's, it's, it's really cool because they work really, really hard and Ty, right? He has this like secret room. Well, it doesn't, it's not a secret room to stay a secret room. I said Ty and all the girls were like, whew. All right. it's, not, it's not just a, a, a secret room to stay a secret room. It's, it's veiled. And then Ty says, you know, move that bus, right, with the big megaphone. And the bus moves. I was like, whoa, what is that thing? It was hidden. I like the show. There was a show called The Swan that came on years ago. I don't think it comes on anymore. But it would take somebody who, you know, how do you say it nicely? Right. You know what I'm saying. All right. They, uh, they, they, if we were a bunch of teenagers, I said they would fall off the ugly tree and hit every branch on the way down. But we wouldn't say that with mature adults. So, they, um, they, had, they were challenged, right, aesthetically. Is that, is that a good way? I don't know. But then they would go in and they'd get all this operation done. They'd do all this stuff and they would come out. Sorry, people are blushing. Um, myself included. Um, and they would come out and, they'd put, and, and they, would, they would reveal this beautiful person at the end because they'd done all this stuff and they'd put like a screw, split screen. It's like, how was that there, right? But one of my favorite shows of all time is American Chopper, Okay. And every single episode, right, they're building these motorcycles, right? They're building these beautiful motorcycles. And every single episode, they would unveil what they had worked so hard on, right? And Paul Jr. would drive up onto the, you know, to the, uh, to the stage, and there would be these thousands of people out there you're cheering. And it's been, that which was secret, the customer didn't see it, has now been revealed, okay? Well, listen, this is so cool. The whole point of hiding the finished product it's for the glorious reveal. Whether it's Ty Pennington with his megaphone saying, move that bus, or it's Paul Jr. driving up in front of thousands of cheering people, the point of secrecy, the point of making it secret is for the secret to be made known. And that's exactly what Jesus is saying here. Nothing is hidden, nothing is secret, except for it to be made, alone, uh, made known. Listen, at Jesus' birth, God revealed the hidden plan of grace by using a megaphone to shout by angels to Mary and Joseph saying, you shall call his name Jesus, which means Savior, and he will save his people from their sins. At the very beginning of Jesus' public ministry, God revealed this, this mystery by using a megaphone of a person named John the Baptizer. And John the Baptizer shouts and there's a voice in the wilderness saying, Behold, the Lamb of God who has come to take away the sins of the world. That which was hidden is now being made manifest. That which was unknown is now being made known. The plan of grace, it was always there. It was just hidden under this cloak of the old covenant, the Old Testament law that man had no chance of keeping. And Jesus says very plainly, listen, verse 23, If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. If, any, if, you're, if you're out there listening, listen up. Jesus is saying, or as Uncle Si would say, like, listen up, Jack, right? But you, 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 these are words of life. These are words of truth. These are words of hope. These are words that will change your life. These are words of grace. 
These are words that work. Amen? In verse 24, this is so cool. Jesus says to them, pay attention to what you hear. Pay attention. Like as if to further emphasize, he's, he, as to further draw attention to what he's already said about himself. He's already said, who has ears, let him hear. Wasn't that enough? But listen, Jesus doesn't want them to just hear these words. He wants them to see them. He wants them to see them. This word that we translate, these English translators have translated pay attention. The most simple and clearest way to translate that word is just to see. S-E-E. Or behold. Or look. In fact, 107 times this word is translated look, behold, see. And 16 times it's this idea of pay attention or, or watch out. Now, I don't make that, con- that, 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 that distinction to say that Jesus isn't warning us. I mean, he's clearly warning us. He's warning us to see. But to see what? What is he calling people to see? He's calling us to see what we hear. To see what you hear. How do you see what you hear? He's saying, don't just hear what you hear, but see it. See it in your mind. See the reality of it. He is calling us to see the grace of God that was once hidden, but now has been revealed. He was, he's calling us to not just let this go in one ear and come out the other, but he's calling us to see, let the image of God's gracious work of placing all of our sin on the spotless sun, he's saying let that image of grace sear in your mind. See it. Behold it. Look at it. Never look at anything else, especially the law. He says, set your eyes, set your heart, set your mind on the completed work of Jesus. That's what Jesus has been talking about. He's been walking around synagogue to synagogue preaching this new thing of grace. He's saying, see it with your mind's eye, the beauty of grace. See the beauty of this new covenant that God has struck hands with God the Son because we couldn't keep our end of the bargain. He's saying, see the beauty that God has fully satisfied, that that Jesus, excuse me, has fully satisfied God's requirement for the law and the requirement for the law has ceased. He's saying, see the beauty that Jesus took all our sin upon himself as he hung there on the tree. See that all the fury and the wrath of God because of your sin was poured out on Jesus as he bore your sin. See that Jesus has gloriously risen from the dead so that we might have life in him. See the fact that your sin is gone. The penalty of your sin has been expunged from your account. See that there is now nothing between you and God the Father anymore. See the fact that this has nothing to do with anything that you could ever deserve, but it has everything to do with God's glorious grace, his glorious character of who he is. See that if you believe in Jesus, his righteousness has been given to you. See that God sees you just as holy, just as righteous as as he sees his own son. See that your sin wasn't just covered by the blood of Jesus, but that the blood of Jesus removed your sin from your account. See grace. Don't see the law. It was used to hide grace for a while, and now grace has been revealed. Don't look to the law. The law brings death. Grace brings life. And this is awesome. 
When this was hidden, this truth was hidden, and now it's been made manifest. It was a secret, but now it's in the open. Jesus is saying, see it, behold it, look at it, gaze at this beauty of grace, and be changed by it. Believe it. And he goes on to say that with the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. What I hear Jesus saying is, however much you, as the English says, use it, or however much you can see it, however much you see it, you will be changed by it. And you will see it more and more and more. And he's saying, and you ain't seen nothing yet, right? Because one day we'll see perfectly. I used to think that this verse was teaching me and teaching us that however much I gave of myself to Jesus, that's how much of Jesus you know, that's how much of, of me Jesus had. And so I, I needed to hunker down and, and, and give Jesus more and more and more of me so that I could have more and more and more of him because the measure to which I use, the measure will be given. That's, that's how I, I saw this verse for years. But that's not at all what Jesus is saying. In fact, Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1 that I now at my new birth have every single spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. There isn't any more to get. There's just more to see. There isn't any more to possessed from God. There's more to see what he's already given. There's more to understand. It's kind of like if you took a tour of like the world's largest house, like this house was like 100 acres. I mean, just a huge house, right? The building itself, let's just say, all right? All right you, you come through and you, you're blown away by how much it is. Every corridor you turn down, it's like, man, a whole nother corridor of stuff and of, and of, 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 of house. And there's a door here and a door there. You're getting lost because it's so big. Every corner you make, it's just more and more. Well, they're not sitting there frantically trying to build the house as you're walking through the house. Oh, he's going to turn left. We better build some more on the left. It's already there. And you're just enamored by the reality of how big this is and how amazing this is, this house. Listen, God does not give us more of himself as we give him more of us. That's not grace. That's works. That's not the mystery that was hidden. That's the thing that the mystery was hidden behind, the old covenant. You can think of it like an eclipse. Like a sun, the sun being hidden behind the moon. Think with me, for if all of history, the moon was eclipsed by the sun. No, the sun was eclipsed by the moon. I knew that didn't sound right. So let's just imagine, for all of history past, no one knew of the sun, right? It was kind of there. You can kind of see the effect of it. There was like a rumor about the something, because there's some light coming, but you don't really know what it's about. But then suddenly the glorious sun that was hidden, that was always there, begins to emerge as the moon passes. Slowly at first, perhaps, but more and more it's seen. However much of the sun comes out from behind the moon, the greater and the brighter and the clearer the earth becomes. Man, so it is with grace. The clearer and clearer you see the beauty of grace, this thing that was hidden temporarily by the law in the Old Testament, the clearer you see this thing that's been revealed, that God is revealing, the clearer and clearer you see it, the more and more and more your life will be changed from the inside out, not from the outside in. The more grace I see, the more changed I'll be. And Jesus wraps it up in verse 25. It says, for the one who has, that is, the one who sees, more will be given. And from the one who has not, the one who has not seen, even what he has, even what he can see, will be taken away. It, it just, just, just very plainly, Jesus says, for the one who sees it, 
even more will be revealed. However, if you don't see it at all, if you don't see the beauty of Jesus and what he has done, if you don't see any of it, whatever you do see, whatever you do value, whatever you do love, will be taken away. Jesus is simply saying, if you can see the beauty of the unseen, you'll see more and more, and one day you'll see it perfectly. But if you can only see what is seen, you'll see less and less. So our journey marker today simply is, the more grace you see, the more changed you'll be. Not changed more and you're saved more, right? but more changed from the inside out as we see the beauty of grace working. Can you see it? Church, can, can, can you see it? Can you see the fact that grace and grace alone not only saves, but it also has already perfected us before God? Can you see that there's nothing more that we could ever do to, com- to complete, to add to Jesus' complete work? Can we see that we are already, by His grace through faith, adopted into His family? Can we see that we're already united to Him? The better you see that, the better you see the reality that your sin has been removed, the more you'll live, the more we'll live in the reality. Believers, all believers in the room, listen to me. Hopefully you already are. Be sure of this. The devil does not want you to see this. The devil does not want you to... He wants you to see your sin. He wants you to see your sin and think that your sin has now separated you from your father. The devil has come, John 10, 10, to steal, kill, and destroy any ounce of hope and sight that you have of Christ's completed work. He even does this by using the Bible. He used the Bible several times when tempting Jesus, right? What makes us think that he's not going to use the Bible to try to distort us in our thinking. Growing up, I was taught that Jesus' work on the cross and his subsequent work of saving me at my conversion was not complete. That's what I was taught. I was taught that whenever I sinned, I had broken my fellowship with God, and now I must ask God to forgive me in order for this new sin that I had just committed to be cleansed. And the Bible verse that was always quoted to me as this proof text to say, look, see, when you sin, you better get it right, was 1 John 1, 9. 1 John 1, 9 says, For if we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I was told that each time I sin, I must get more of Jesus' blood in order to cover my sin, especially if we're going to do communion. I mean, if we're going to do communion, then we better get all that sin taken care of. We better confess every single last one. And if you don't confess every single last one, then we're going to eat and drink damnation upon ourselves. Well, man, you want to talk about fear. Man, I better get every single last sin that I ever could have thought of. But what if I didn't forget? What if I couldn't remember one? Jesus, forgive me from the ones that I couldn't remember. And then notice I just, Jesus, forgive me from all of them. Oh, Jesus, I just need to get saved again. It's just vicious cycle that the work of Christ was not complete in my life. Again, God's work of grace wasn't enough. I was taught it wasn't enough. Jesus' work of forgiving my sin on the cross wasn't enough. I needed more daily. But what does John, 1 John 1, 9, because I'm sure I'm not the only one that's been told, hey, look, confess your sin, 1 John 1, 9. Right? I see some head shaking out there. So what is it talking about? I think we should figure that out very briefly. It's not time for now sermon number two. But 1 John 1, 9 simply says, 
reading the passage, he says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, that which we have seen with our eyes and have looked upon, that which we have touched with our hands, John is saying, concerning the word of life. This life was made manifest. It was made revealed like we've been talking about. And we have seen it and we testify to it. We proclaim to you the eternal life, which is found in Jesus through the Father. It was made manifest to us. And verse 3 says in 1 John chapter 1, that which we have seen and heard, we now proclaim to you so that you may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son. We're writing these things so that our joy would be complete by you receiving this message that we have heard and that we proclaim it to you now that God is light. And in him there's no darkness. And he goes on to talk about this message, and he's begging, and he's imploring people to believe it. He says, if we, if we say we don't have sin, then the truth is not in us. We're, we're deceiving ourselves, because all have sinned, he's saying. And he says, if we confess our sin, listen, he's faithful, he's just, to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. John is begging these people, he's imploring them to become believers in Jesus. In fact, verse 10 says, if we say we are not sinned, we make God out to be a liar, and the world, his word is not in us. John wasn't writing to believers to get them further forgiveness for sin because their sin is already forgiven on the cross. He's opening up this letter. He's appealing to the unbelievers that they become believers. In fact, the very next two verses say he's changing audiences. He says, now my dear children, right? He was talking to unbelievers. And now he says, now my dear children, now to the believers, I'm writing these things to you so that you won't sin. But if anyone does sin, remember this, we have an advocate with the father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation. That is, he's the means by which our sin is forgiven. Not only our sins, but the sins of the whole world. John says that when a believer sins, we just remember that we have an advocate who has removed these sins already. You know what Jesus tells, I mean, what John tells these believers to do when they sin in order to get right with God? What does he tell them to do in order to get right with God? Exactly. Nothing. <laughs> Nothing because their sin was already paid for. It was already forgiven at the cross. It was complete. If you can see that, See, that's where I'm like, ooh, there's cringing in my spirit, right? But if we could see that, our lives would be changed. You'll pass from guilt and agony over sin to seeing the beautiful truth that God sees your sin no longer. The more grace you'll see, the more changed you'll be. But what if we started seeing this as a church collectively? What if we started seeing the reality of grace? What if we all prayed that the Spirit of God would reveal to us more and more the beautiful reality of the unseen? The reality that we are now holy and blameless before God. That our sin has been removed. Not just covered, but removed. What if we became a church that didn't view God as some angry, distant being that we must continue to impress by keeping up our end of the bargain? But what if we started seeing Him as what He is? Our loving Father and gracious Father who has purchased us with His blood through His only begotten Son. What if we became a church that stopped putting the revealed beauty of grace back under the cloak of law? What if we became a church that really believed 
that grace works. That's what I'm here for. That's what I'm signed up to be and to do and to be a part of. Well, you say to me, well, well but wait a second. What about all the, the, when I do sin and, and I have this sin that, that, that I, I continue committing? I, you know, I have a, a porn addiction or I keep hating my, my spouse or I, I keep, you know, doing this and, and I, I keep sinning. Does, does that, what do I need to do to get that out of me? Don't I need to, to put law in to, to make that not happen again? I say, look, if the law could perfect your flesh, it would already would have. Grace has come. J.D. Greer in his book says, uh, called Gospel says, whatever spiritual dysfunction you have in your life, and we have dysfunction in our flesh, all right? whatever dysfunction we have, the cure is always the Gospel. Do you want to be filled with a passion for God? Then you should drink the Gospel. Do we want to have more control over our flesh, more control over the lust of our flesh? Then we must be captivated by the Gospel. Do we want to be content with what we have and not always pursuing more materialism? Then we must feast on the beauty of grace, of the gospel. Do we want to learn to love our spouses more and more? Then we must be overwhelmed with the beauty of the gospel. The more grace you see, the more changed you'll be. Our band's going to come up and we're going to finish out this morning with a worship song. This worship song is entitled, here I am to worship, right? It starts off, and I don't remember every single line of the lyric, but it starts off as saying, Light of the world, you came down into darkness. Open my eyes, let me see. Let me see what? The beauty, right? The beauty you created. Let me see it. And when we see it, Paul says in Romans chapter, chapter 12, he says, as we see, as we view, as we see the mercy of God, our response it's to lay down our lives, to lay down our flesh. Our response is to the continual renewing of our mind by the reality of grace. If you don't believe in Jesus this morning, is the Spirit of God drawing you to Him? Is He wooing you to Himself? Is God revealing His love to you now? Would you respond by just believing? By turning your your, your mind and letting go from whatever you're holding on to and just believe in Jesus. His grace is enough. There's room at the cross for you. If you're a believer here and you're a little ticked, like, wait a second, First John 1 John 1.9, that's my bro right there. You're a little upset with me. You're thinking that I'm spitting heresy. Can I challenge you to ask yourself, are you holding on to religious tradition of law or are you holding on to the biblical truth of grace? What should our response be? Worship. Not just with songs. That's not what, I mean, that's part of worship, right? But worship with our lives. As we see grace more and more, as we see what he's really done, then our lives will reflect that from the inside out, this bubbling well of truth and of grace and of Jesus coming out through our lives in a love that this world desperately needs. The world doesn't need Christians who are putting themselves underneath the strain and the stress and the weight of law. Jesus says, come unto me. My burden is light. My yoke is easy because he carried the weight for us. Paul says the only reasonable response 
is the renewal of our mind. Seeing grace. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. As we stand here in a minute and sing, Richard and I will be up here. If you want to talk, if you want to come and tell me I'm a blasphemous heretic, that's all right. I still love you. And I might not be right in all things. I know I'm not right in all things. But I know that God has extended his grace towards us. And that while we were still sinners, Jesus died for us. If you're a believer here, could you just pray that God would open your eyes to see this revealed reality that grace works? If you want to come and talk with me or with Richard, come and talk, or Tyler will be up here, one of our community group leaders, or, or Josh, one of our upcoming community group leaders. Man, we'll, we'd love to talk with you. But if you have questions about your faith in Jesus, if you're even a believer or not, man, listen. Just believe. <laughs> if you want to talk, we'll talk with you. We'll show you out of God's Word what, what it means to believe. But to as many as believe to them, he gave the right to become the sons of God. So we're going to have a time of just reflecting, time of just quiet, just you asking God to open your eyes to the reality of grace and grace alone, a grace that works. And then Craig will lead us. and We'll just respond in singing together. Father, I thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your grace. God, I thank you for the fact that you are revealing it more and more. It was hidden, but now it's manifest. God, may it continue to be manifest in our lives, in our church, in this community, that your grace is enough. Thank you for listening to this message from Life Journey Church. Feel free to distribute this podcast, but please do not charge for it or alter it in any way. For more information about Life Journey Church, visit us at www.lifejourneyva.com.